0: This morning, we are going to begin a new sermon series that we are titling Kingdom Culture. And you saw that as you came in on your bulletin cover, which I was—I uh, told Liz she did a beautiful job of putting this together in Swedish colors, because you know, it's part of this House of Prayer for All Nations. Swedes are a part of this as well, right? Okay? So, yes. Those of us. Jagel Svenska Bojka. So, um, yes. But... We're going to, uh, over the next several weeks over the summer, we are going to be unpacking this issue of kingdom culture. Now, some of you know that um, a couple of years ago, I actually completed my uh, doctoral work, which was on. uh, My my doctoral work is in, I have a doctorate in um, global and contextual leadership. And. As part of that, my my thesis and dissertation was all around building an intercultural church, which, uh, you know, that's who we are. That's what God is creating among us. We're called to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. And as part of that work that I did, um, one of the things that I I began to think about a lot and one of the phrases that um, began to kind of resonate in my spirit was, uh, this, this phrase about kingdom culture. And, um, you know, we come from a number of different backgrounds. I think at last count there was people who are a part of this congregation from 28 different um, nationalities. Um, that means a lot of different cultures. That means we bring in a lot of different rich diversity into our life together as a congregation. Um, but I began to think about what does it look like and what what are some of the things uh, about a, a kingdom culture. Is there such a thing as a kingdom culture that transcends generations, transcends um, ethnicities, tra- transcends uh, languages? Um, and actually, I believe that there is. I believe that there is a culture of the kingdom that... Um, That the richness that we have in earthly cultures, uh, you know, earthly cultures have a way of expressing different facets of kingdom culture. Within every culture, there are things which line up and align with what I think are kingdom culture uh, worldview. But there are things within every culture that misalign and need to come into alignment with kingdom culture. So... I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that particular issue this morning, but I just want to give you some context for what we're going to be talking about. And one more thing that I want to bring to you, and just have you hold this in your mind, I don't, <coughs> excuse me, came back with a little bit of a cold here, so I'll try not to cough too much into the mic here. Um, but one of the things that I want you to picture in your mind, and I don't have it up here on the, the screen for you this morning, but i I want you to picture in your mind for a moment three concentric circles, okay? Can everybody do that with me? Three concentric circles. Here, here, and here, okay? And I want you to think about that and in your mind or in your notes, you can even write this in your notes, within those circles, I'm going to give you three things to write. First of all, in the outermost circle, you can write practices. Practices. In the next circle in you can write values. On the most innermost circle you can write world view. Worldview practice, I'm sorry, worldview, values, practices. Okay? That is sort of the context of culture. Culture is a mix of practices Values, but at its heart, worldview. Now, practices are the things that we normally see or experience with our five senses. Practices are things like um, food, fashion, festivals. It's sort of the things that 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 you know if you if you go to um, uh, uh, what do they have down at the uh, river center each. Festival of Nations. You go to the Festival of Nations, and you get to experience, at some level, the practices of different cultures. You get to see the different things that people. Oh my goodness, you're cute. Hey. Hi. Hey, oh, he knows my voice. He's oh, he's getting big already. Holy mackerel! All right. Um, sorry about that. Um, but you get to see people what they're wearing. You get to see them doing um, ethnic dances. You get to see celebration. You get to see all of those things that are just a part of, you know, that, that that are a visible part of someone's culture. Okay? With me so far? Everybody nod your head up and down. Make me feel like, okay, good. All right. So you have the practices. Now, underlying those practices, there are certain values. Now, values start to get at things that are more th- issues about identity. Who am I? Now, we live in an individual culture here in America, so my identity is primarily defined by um, either my job or perhaps my marital status or my children or my uh, bank statement. Or it, It's all about individual. But if you go to many of the cultures that many of you come from, values have to do not with my identity isn't so much about who I am, but my identity is about who I'm connected to, who is my family, who are my relatives, what what clan do I come from. I am because, and, and, and my identity is largely based within the context of my understanding of the community of which I am a part. That's a value system. Time. Time is, uh, is a value that is very different in different societies. In our society here, um, which is very much production-oriented, time is money. If you say you're going to start a meeting at 10, you start your meeting at 10. Right? And it starts at 10, and it's done when it's supposed to be done, and everything is done with efficiency. Now, that is not true in most other cultures in the world outside of the West. Because it's all about relationship, right? So the meeting begins when the right people are there. When the, okay, when you have quorum, when the people who you're waiting for have arrived, that's when the meeting can begin. Right? Okay? Don't look at me like I'm... Okay. And then... It really is about relationship because I want to know you and you want to know me, right? Oh, we'll get to business eventually, but right now we need to know who each other are. How are you doing? How are things? When we, when we have our meeting, I had a meeting yesterday. We introduce, we know each other's name. We find out some things about each other. When somebody else comes in, they greet every single person, right? Is this relationship? Now, which is right? Yes. Those are values. Those values are informed at a subconscious level by our worldview. Our worldview is the set of assumptions by which we live our life. We're, we're like fish in water where we don't even know that we're breathing, you know, we, we don't know many times what those underlying assumptions are until, until, listen to me carefully, until someone in some way goes against or rubs against those underlying assumptions that I have. It's kind of like the iceberg. Again, the practices are the things that are visible But underneath them are the values and down, way down in the subterranean depths is our world view. The way we think about the world around us. That is the heart of culture. That's the very heart of culture. (coughs) So, over these next several weeks, what we're going to be looking at and examining really is not so much about, we're not going to be looking necessarily, I mean, we might get to some practices and we're definitely going to be talking about values, but what we really want to see established is our underlying world view. Those are the issues that we're going to be looking at together over these next many weeks. All right, if you got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter... We're going to start in Acts chapter 1 for a moment. Yep, I like the sound of that. You can pull it out of the seat right in front of you. Recently in my... Ongoing reading in Scripture. Now that you know, now that we're in the practice of saturate and continuing to read Scripture, it's wonderful. I I began to, to read in the Book of Acts again and read through the Book of Acts over the last several weeks. And the um, the first thing that I noted here in Acts chapter one, I, I, you know, I just read it not very long ago as part of saturate, and here it is again. Um, And I read it again, and, and I noticed something that I hadn't noticed before. So please notice it with me. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, And he spoke about what? He spoke about the kingdom of God. Now there was a lot of things that Jesus could have talked to them about in those 40 days he had between his resurrection and his ascension. But the thing that he spoke to them about was about the kingdom of God. And then as I was reading, I got very excited as I read the very last words of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. For two whole years, this is how the book of Acts ends. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed what? The kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul is in jail in Rome. And again, he could have been talking and writing and doing about anything. And it says that he welcomed and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to submit to you. If the last 40 days of Jesus' earthly life, he spent unpacking to his disciples issues related to the kingdom of God, and if Paul, in the last couple years—well, you know—we don't know exactly timing of when he died—but in the two years we know he's here in Rome in prison, the thing that he is emphasizing and focusing his attention on is proclaiming the kingdom of God. Then perhaps it would be helpful for us to understand what this kingdom is about and this specifically this kingdom culture. Does that sound okay to you? I don't know. That's interesting to me. So. Hopefully it'll be interesting to you as well. All right, so Acts chapter 2, turn there, and this is where, this is going to be the the kind of the center point scripture that we're going to be unpacking over these next months, couple months, all right? Very familiar scripture, but we're going to unpack it and take time to go in depth to help discover, because now in Acts chapter 2, remember Acts chapter 1, Jesus is teaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then uh, the ascension happens. He tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they have received the promise, which will be the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And they're all the fire. We've got the fire on our, our Year to Dream banner. We've got the from Pentecost Sunday. The fire comes down upon them. They begin to speak Boldly, like Paul did, without hindrance, the Spirit of God is upon them. They're proclaiming the wonders of God. Peter gets up to preach. He preaches a powerful message, and it tells us that in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And here the church explodes with its initial growth as the people of God. And then, here in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, which is a familiar scripture to many of you, we have sort of an encapsulation of the life of this early church. And what I'm submitting to you this morning is this. I believe that the early church here is demonstrating... A worldview that is immersed in a kingdom culture. So, so, what we're going to be unpacking over the next several weeks is what are the dynamics and how is that kingdom culture expressed in the life of this early church to help inform us here and now because the, the, some of the practices will look different. I don't think they had this set of instruments. And they probably weren't sitting in this kind of a room. And there's all kinds of different ways that things are going to be expressed in terms of practice. But what I want to get at is underlying values and even below that, the worldview that informed those early disciples and that must inform us now. Whatever culture we are coming from, I, I hope that you, like me, desire... And certainly our desire as a leadership here at Bethel Christian Fellowship is that we walk in a kingdom culture mindset. Okay? So, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the first thing that we hear here is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, I would like to unpack that a bit more this morning. And so this morning, the message is entitled, A Culture of Living Truth. A Culture of Living Truth. And I'm going to unpack that more here. All right. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. I'm going to give you a couple more scriptures kind of as a broad outline here. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to notice in the Scripture. There is an integral connection between being filled with the Spirit and speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's not just simply you're going to sing to another person, but you are speaking to them. Psalms are Scripture. There are hymns within the midst of Scripture. You are speaking in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Those are the immersion of Scripture being released out of a Spirit-filled Secondly, Colossians three sixteen and 17, very similar scripture. Let the message of Christ, let the message of Christ, or the word of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now a couple of those scriptures might be on the kids', you know, your your things. So you guys can be working on those and looking at those scriptures on your sheets, that your worksheets, okay? All right. Let the message of Christ and if you don't have one, go back to the back and find Stan Burlogger. I'll find you one up there on the uh, if you need a if any of the kids need a worksheet. We've got worksheets and fun stuff for them to color and do. Alright? So Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So here again, with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs, from the Spirit. And this is why I've entitled this message, A Culture of Living Truth. Because I believe that kingdom culture, and we've used this phrase over the years here at Bethel, is both true to the Word and alive in the Spirit. It is both true to the Word and alive in the Spirit. All right, Liz, do you want to pass those out or just come on out? If anybody needs a kid's sheet, wave your hand and Liz will find you with kid's sheets. All right, good. Oh, we got waving hands all over. All right, I know they're absolutely enraptured by listening to Pastor Jim preach this morning, but some of them are tactile learners, so they need... So keep those hands waving while Liz finds you, and Stan will help you out there, too, on this side. All right. We will have these every week for you, by the way, parents. They'll be right up on the sound booth, right up here. If the ushers forget to give you one, you just ask. Kids, you just pull on Mom and Dad and say, can I please get a sheet you have to work on. All right. There we go. So kingdom culture is true to the word and alive in the spirit. So here's the deal. Here's what I've discovered over well over 25 years in ministry now. And just observationally of the church that it is possible to be True to the Word, but not alive in the Spirit. You can have a culture of truth that isn't alive. You can have a mausoleum. In fact, I mean, this is somewhat what what the Pharisees found themselves in in the Jewish culture. You know, you know the Word, but you deny the power within it. You know all about it. You know all the laws and the rules and the right. You know, you know everything else, but there's no life in it. And what it can quickly devolve into is sort of a dead orthodoxy where there is no real, true life in it. On the other hand, and this is perhaps a particular vulnerability to churches who come out of our particular stream of Christianity. We are historically a a Pentecostal congregation. We are, you know, labels are difficult to use, but we're an evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal congregation. And my experience within that stream, which I've been a part of now for 30 years, is that there is a vulnerability to being alive in the spirit, but not true to the word. Where it becomes something that is primarily or even sometimes almost solely experiential, but it's not rooted and grounded in any kind of concrete reality. And so what happens is it gets over into what I affectionately can call the spirit of weird. Alright? And I've been around it. And I know what it looks like, smells like, feels like. And that's what can happen if it's not rooted in the reality of living truth. You can you can have a lot of life, but if there isn't truth attached to that. Okay, so are you with me so far? Okay, I hope I'm communicating clearly, trying to get there. All right, so, kingdom culture, get that in your notes, get that in your mind, is true to the Word and alive in the Spirit. That's why it is living truth. It's living truth. Now, I want to bring you, and as I was preparing for the message, the Lord just dropped this particular scripture and reminded me of of this interaction that happened in the, in the week Jesus died, in fact, on the night, you know, the, the day he was on trial, um, the night he was on trial, he was meeting with Pilate, and he and Pilate have this interaction. In John chapter 18, it's recorded for us. So let me remind you of this particular uh, conversation that happened. Pilate went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Well, is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Well, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. So here he's talking about the kingdom. Get this. This is about the kingdom of God. And Pilate responds, you are a king, Then, said Pilate, Jesus answered, Well, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is having this dialogue conversation. Pilate's got some vague understanding of what's going on. talking about kingdom king. And then Pilate says, What is truth? What is truth? Now this is a question that resonates deeply in the culture in which we live today. What is truth? And the reference point here is this conversation between Jesus and Pilate where, where Jesus is talking about a kingdom and a king. When we're talking about living truth and a culture of living truth, we're talking about a, a culture of the kingdom which is centered around Christ the king. That's why it says in Acts 28, which I read earlier, that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and spoke about Jesus. Because this kingdom that we're talking about has a king. The master. The Lord. Jesus, who is at the center of this understanding of living truth. All right, now, let's continue. What is living truth? Now, I've thought about this a lot, again, over the last several years. And what I've discovered is that, I'm going to give you a series of four questions, and they're really questions that are answered generationally by different generations. Okay? And I've, I've sort of observed this. This is, again, going back to earthly culture, as it were, and even within the culture of the church, I would say that these are four different questions that get asked by different generations. The generation that preceded me, which would be the builder generation, which was the generation that came out of World War II, and and really established much of the structures and systems that we have around us in our country today, kind of established the institutions and things. The question, and specifically the question in the church at that time, was, is it right? When you're talking about truth, what they were talking about, is it right or is it wrong? This truth. there's There's right and there's wrong. It's black and white. It's There's right and wrong. It's as simple as that. Is it right? That was the question that people wanted answered. That began to shift with my generation, which I'm a part of the boomer generation, and the question shifted from is it right to the question became is it relevant? What will it do for me? I need the, you know, and so, you know, lots and lots of, Sermons on, you know, the three keys to a successful marriage, the seven keys to whatever, the nine steps to, you know, because we want to know is this truth relevant to my daily life? Now, the next generation, the Gen X generation, I think the question was is it real? Can I feel, is it experiential? Is it making, you know, I want something that's real. I want to experience it. I want to know it. I want to feel it. I want to, it, it's very, it, it's a sort of a numinous, it's, it's sort of a, but it's very real. Uh, it's real, real. I mean, they want to know, is this truth real? The question I think that the millennial generation is asking is, Is this truth relational? What does this do? What does this have to do with the people around me? How how is it impacting them? How are they they, feeling? Is everybody okay with this truth? Are we doing? How are we? Where are we? Is it relational? Okay? You following me? Well, here's what I would respond to that is this. I'm going to respond by a scripture from John chapter 14. Very familiar. Thomas said to him, speaking to to Jesus, says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus responds to this not by, by, by answering the question in a very counterintuitive way because what he says is, I am this way, this truth, and the life. And so what, in essence... Jesus is saying here, and what I would contend to you this morning is this, is that this living truth, Jesus, is right, he is ultimately relevant, he is very real, and he is true relationship. That the gospel, that kingdom culture, that living truth answers all of those questions. And this is why in today, in some of the, the debates over various issues going on within and outside of the church, people are going past each other because they're answering different questions. Or they're asking different questions. You know, one of the great, difficult, challenging issues of our time the issue of homosexuality and, and, and a gay culture within the context of the larger culture in which we live. Depending on your generation or what question, how you are approaching truth, you're going to come at that from very different worldview perspectives. And what I would say to you is that the gospel in kingdom culture Comes at it and answers it directly on all those various levels. It really is ultimately, uh, I'm going to be careful here. I mean, whatever the culture around us defines marriage as, God's already defined it, He's defined it as one man, one woman. From the very beginning, he established it. Now, that's not a political statement. That's just reality. That's kingdom culture. And it is relevant. It's relevant to to, um, households, families, children. It's relevant in all kinds of different areas. It's very real. And God's grace is very real. And yes, it is relational. And what do I do with the person whom I love who is gay? Will you love them? And invite them to understand, as it would be true for every one of us, that our identity is in Christ first and foremost. And then I must live my life congruent with what he has said I am to live. Whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, the call of God is to fidelity. To him and to his commands and to his purposes. And then, within the context of marriage, to one man, one woman. Is that clear? That's living truth. And it gets worked out in the context of of a culture that's very, very confused. But we bring something to the table, and that someone that we bring to the table is the living truth, Jesus Christ. Who is not interested um, you know, and I've said this before, War, but I'm just going to say this again because it just really irritates me. You know, Jesus isn't holding the placards that says God hates fags. That's not Jesus. Let's just, it's not Jesus. That is not Him. I don't know what that is, but that ain't Jesus. His arms are wide open with love for every person in all of our broken. Anybody without sin cast the first stone. Yet he also says, go and sin no more. Oh, but God is a God of love. He is. He's also a God of righteousness. We can't just take one part of Jesus apart from another part. He's whole in who he is as living truth. All right? No, it's a hot-button issue. I know it's, you know, there's a lot of... But we just need to be direct about understanding this culture that we're living So we're pointing people back to Jesus, the living truth. All right, let's get very practical and come to the table. How do we continually devote ourselves to the living truth? How do I continually devote myself to the living truth? Because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Remember, and I... I didn't mention this at the beginning, but you know, they didn't have all of Paul's books written down in Acts chapter 2. Because Paul hadn't been saved yet and written anything. They had the Old Testament, they probably didn't even have the Gospels written down. They had the same, you know, they they had all the oral traditions, they had all of that. It was living, it was dynamic. So how do we continually devote ourselves? We need to, first of all, hunger for the living truth. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it. You may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those who have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The question that I would ask you is, What is our level of hunger for the living truth? That was the purpose of saturate, was to give us a hunger. It was a scripture immersion so that we begin to increase our hunger. I'm telling you, even as your pastor, that I have to pray regularly and ask the Lord to increase my hunger for the living truth, because it will become stale to me, or I mean, it's just me. It's not the word. It just it can become rote or routine or all of that. I have to ask God increase that hunger. Who is your worldview being informed by? I'm gonna oh man. I feel like preaching today. It's been a while, okay? But if your worldview is being informed by Rush Limbaugh, God help you. If your worldview is being informed by Glee. God help you. Alright? I'll get send those letters and cards. Okay. Keep them coming. Alright? It's not about rush. It's not about glee. It's not about. There's bazillion voices out there. Okay? And I'm not saying that all those voices you never want to listen. You know, not some of them periodically can resonate truth. But if that's what your worldview is being formed by, rather than the living truth of the Word of God, any of us can get distorted on any level. This isn't about left or right. God calls us to a prophetic center to speak truth to power, whatever it is. All right. Submit to the living truth. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. The question is, are we willing to submit to this living truth? It isn't enough just to know the truth. We have to submit ourselves to it. Walk in the living truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus says. In John 17. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. 2 John, verse 4. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. James 1, 22. Are we walking in the truth? We need to hunger for it. We need to submit ourselves under it. And then we need to begin to actually live it out. Day by day. Walking in it. And there's one more. And worship team, come on up. We're going to be stepping into communion in a moment. So just prepare yourselves if you would. To radiate the living truth. And here we got the radiate worship team leading us. So it's a good thing. We're called to radiate the living truth. First Peter 2 9 to 12, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Are our lives radiating living truth? What is the aroma on our lives? What are our lives radiating? What are we presenting? Are we, you know, when we come, we, you know, and that's why I mentioned the placards earlier, we are representing Christ. We are re-presenting Him to a world that doesn't know Him. And I don't know about you, but I am desperately compelled to, to present Him aright. Not Jesus and my particular political philosophy. Not Jesus and my particular set of stuff that whatever. I want to re-present Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Who is right always. Who is always relevant. Who is always real, who is always about relationship? That's the Jesus I want to bring. That's the living truth. That's the living truth that I want us to bring as a congregation. You have in your bulletin and this, I just put this in here because you know, sometimes it's helpful to have this just to know this is what we believe here at Bethel. I'm not going to take time to read through it. I'll invite you to do that. And if you come and you're part of one of our uh, Doorway to Ministry courses where this is the the first threshold, the first first door we talk about is um, our Foundations of Faith, Um, our Statement of Faith is a living expression of the doctrinal foundations upon which we stand. It's a living expression. We are a confessional church. We have, rooted here in Scripture, taken through the ages and down through the through the, the saints and the, and, and, and the uh, scriptures down through the ages, have come and we, we, we have some living truths upon which we are founded. And these living truths ultimately find their deepest and fullest and completest expression in Jesus Christ. So we're here. This is where we are. In this kingdom culture... We are committed to a culture of living truth. We will be led by the Spirit, informed and impacted and influenced and transformed by the Word of God. As it says in Romans 12, too, where we are to have our lives. It says, present yourself as living sacrifices, your holy and acceptable form of worship. Don't be formed, conformed to this world, but be be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We need ongoing transformation. I need ongoing transformation, people. And that happens as the Word of God does its work in my soul and in my life. So if I could invite you to do anything as a takeaway from this message, I would invite you back here. I would invite you back here. I'd invite you back into the Word to let it begin to 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 shape your thoughts in your life. If they're being shaped by all kinds of other things, but there's no reference point, you're going to get disoriented. You just are. We need orientation to be reoriented. This table helps us reorient this morning. This table represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's a symbol, a living expression to us of the sacrifice that He has made on our behalf. This bread reminds us of His body which is broke, was broken for us. This bread becomes to us the very bread of life as we receive afresh and again the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. This blood This cup representing the blood of Jesus Christ. The cup of salvation. His blood which broke the power of sin and death. Now and forever. As we receive again this morning, we receive His life in us, to us, through us, for us. If you're here this morning... Maybe you realize, you know, I've been talking about living truth and you've heard these scriptures and and maybe just the simple scripture that I've mentioned several times here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to know that Jesus is the way to relationship with the Father. We can have a relationship with the living God both here on earth and eternally through Christ. Christ. And it comes as we submit ourselves to him, as we recognize, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've violated God's laws countless times. And there's nothing I can do to make myself acceptable to God. But Jesus went to a cross. He lived a sinless life and went to a cross and died. Shed his blood. His body was broken so that we could experience freedom. From the power of sin and death now and forever. Forever. Receive him today. Invite him into your life and then receive this communion as an expression today. Jesus, in this house this day, we do exalt you as the living truth. And we ask that you, Lord, would weave into the very foundation of our life together a culture of living truth. Establish it, Lord God, now and forever in this house we pray, and in each of our individual lives, God, and now with hands open, receive the benediction this morning, I pray that you would be filled afresh today with the overwhelming love of God the Father, the irresistible grace and mercy of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit. Be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours. Go with the banner of His favor and goodness over your life, sent to make disciples of all nations. Until we gather again either in this home or in our eternal home, I bless you, people of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, blessings. Amen.